Dear listener, welcome to Weekend at Crombie's, Volume 4, Episode 10. And tonight, we'll be discussing Cliffhanger. Welcome, dear listener. Uh, yes, it is the October edition of Weekend at Crombies. It's it's season four, year four. We're nearly at the end of year four. My goodness. Thought, goodness me. Um, but uh, my name is uh, Dr. James Evans Esquire. Time to kill a mountain man. Thank you. And I am Hugh. Don't bother to buckle up. You may not want to survive this. <laughs> I had that as one of my potential quotes to use as well. I had Along- every single one yeah. of, of John Lithgow's words. Yeah. Well, I, I like the one where um, Crystal goes, uh, you should see me bake a cake. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one as well. But anyway, it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, I thought it was episode 46, if you want to go down that road. Um, it was Hugh's choice this month. Um, and uh, Hugh chose... Uh, um, uh, Sylvester Stallone, bulging biceps. Whew, crikey! Nineteen ninety-three. It really is in the sweet spot of my nostalgia. It's a, oh, it's an, yeah. it's an action flick of the, yeah, of the early nineties, which is my my hunting ground of choice, really. It is, yeah, definitely. I think yeah, if 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 you could if you could really uh, describe a, a Hugh Morgan film of choice, it would be um, action, uh, quips. 1993 <laughs> that'd be it really <clears throat> but um shall we begin it, anyway? uh, well before we do begin oh, 1993 28 years ago that's mad isn't it not when you consider how very old we both are <laughs> <laughs> you're never as shocked at these, these things as i am I I, 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 i'm quite resigned to my decrepitude i'm i can i can yes, sense the I passing of time well it's just making there are people sentient who are t- who are Younger than this film. Yes, <laughs> I suppose that's the, the case for films that were made in the 2000s as well. But there we go. Right, let's make a start. Otherwise, you know. Otherwise, gonna... I remember this was all fields, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So we begin. We begin in the Colorado Rockies, where uh, where Gabe Walker. Um, who's, uh, <laughs> I'm already uh, laughing. <laughs> Gabe Walker. Walker. <laughs> Walker, well, Walker is a bit of a semi. He's really a climber, but uh, Gabe is, Walker, yeah. played by Sylvester Stallone, is again doing some pretty phenomenal climbing already up the mountain, um, yeah. because uh, he is rescuing his friend and colleague. Uh, they're all mountain rangers to rescue people. His friend and colleague Hal Tucker, who's been played by <laughs> Michael Tucker and Walker. Yeah, Tucker and Walker. Come there, on. Classic, no, classic early nineties action. Gabe Walker and Hal Tucker. Um, <laughs> so also Hal Tucker, played by Michael Rooker, who you know I, I've got to say. I love Michael Rooker. Yes, I was going to say, he is a perennial um, supporting character. He is almost, but not quite, in the realm of Bill Paxton, in that you... He never quite gets the leading role. Bill Paxton did a few times, but Michael Rooker has essentially, since Mississippi Burning, all the way through to the end of the Marvel Universe, has yeah. constantly been ap- appearing in bits and bobs um, as a supporting character. And he's brilliant. And stealing the scenes. Yes. 
Although, if you've, if you've seen Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which was yeah. his um, debut film, yeah. he, he's he's very good in that. He's not a supporting actor in that, but that's that's a different kind of film. But yeah, I think it's it's because he's got that kind of he's got the southern draw and the gravelly voice. You can't really imagine him in a leading role, but you no. can totally imagine him in a supporting one. He's a bit dangerous as well, isn't he? Oh God, he always looks dangerous. Yeah, he's brilliant. Mm. Hal, notwithstanding, so Hal Tucker, played by Michael Rooker, um, has so Hal has climbed a mountain with his girlfriend Sarah, um, who's not an experienced uh, climber, and she's and Hal has got a knee injury, so they're in need of rescue. But luckily, well, how how the hell did they get up to that peak? She she can't climb, and it's literally the the most terrifying peak you have ever seen. They're teetering it, on the edge of falling off about a thousand foot. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's, it's a thousand foot column of rock that yeah, how did she get up off. there if she can't climb <laughs> well you know what it's like you can get up places and you think how did i do that i can't do yeah, that i can't right. get back down again <laughs> um so um but uh but so they need rescue and gabe walker's come up with some rescue equipment as has uh gabe's girlfriend jesse who's a helicopter pilot um cool. and the uh the wizened old veteran frank they're both in the support helicopter and they decide the best way to do it is to land on an opposite peak which is equally vertiginous and mm. uh, and string a cable across by where they'll do a you know they'll zip across so hal zips across no problem at all um and then sarah who's a bit nervous but you know she's just confidence in her in their climbing buddies um first error <laughs> she starts to well i think the first error was having a cute cuddly toy attached to her backpack oh that's true yeah she <laughs> so, deserved um, to die <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Sarah starts going across. Whereupon, um, in the most frightening way, a buckle snaps, and then all kinds of things start unraveling. So she's uh, all the all the all the lovely security equipment is zipping across all over the place, and Sarah is left just clinging on um, by a single strap, in hovering over this um, perilous drop, um, and everyone is basically going, "What the hell do we do?" Um, Gabe. Walker is the first one to, to recover his senses. He, um, despite Haltecker saying, don't go on the line, you'll, you're too heavy. He goes on the line, whips out, manages to grab her just as the line breaks. But um, the glove is slipping and she, she can't make yeah. it. The, the cuddly toy falls to its death, uh, quickly followed by Sarah. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's that. That's our first heart stopper. That's the, that's the intro. This is first our... of all, uh, it's a couple of things I've learned from that is, A, never wear a glove. We'll never wear gloves when you're climbing because yeah. they will fall off and you'll you'll lose your your grip and um why didn't she just hang on to the rope did it i mean she could just hang oh, on oh, to oh, it oh you mean the 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 the, the, the um the cable they strung across yeah no she couldn't reach it she'd, she'd already fallen beyond she was clinging oh, on she by had, the, what remained of her oh, to the to the yes yeah she, she couldn't had. reach up that way but i'll but i will i will say that in case anyone is listening for this for climbing tips um that i would i would disregard <laughs> no, don't. James, <laughs> no don't james and i are not experienced climbers um i would uh i would not i would advise you ignore that thing about the glove because apparently they try to do the thing because basically sarah's glove is slipping through sylvester sloan's fingers like i can't hold you any longer yeah they had to go to extreme lengths to make that happen because oh, really? gloves don't gloves are really good at gripping so they basically had to get her a glove that was like four sizes too big fill it full of vaseline <laughs> and even then the grip was still pretty good, so it almost <laughs> did come away. So I'd say uh, that's a big tick in, in gloves for me. If you have a well-fitted well, okay. glove that isn't full of Vaseline, I think you can probably climb quite well in it. <laughs> well, the, the the scene was full of tension, so the fact <laughs> that it took took as long as it did was probably beneficial. Yeah. So um. Yeah. So it's it's a good scene. It's a it's a, it's a proper heart stopper. It's a very um, good scene. But it's but it's also it's also our tragic backstory. Um, yeah. because you know uh, much later on now, um, uh. 
Walker has now left the uh, the mounted rescue service. He's left the whole the whole town. He's gone off somewhere else to find a different job, and he comes back. Um, he's no longer working in Detroit. Working in Detroit. Um, uh, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's, there's they've come to the scene. Um, so he's he's basically come back to to bring Jesse with him because Jesse's still working there. So is Tucker. <clears throat> so is Frank. Um, Tucker is now hates Walker and will not talk to him. Um, Walker is pretty miserable generally um and still kind of moping about oh, i wish i could have done something different um, <laughs> uh, i will say all this is played out uh, in the front of animals that have no reference to the film like yeah, it's, it's i think something yeah it's to make it seem more outdoorsy because jesse is just brushing a horse um, yeah. gets, and then after she the first she says you know walker you know you've got to get over it don't don't beat yourself up i'm sick of your guilt etc um and they kind of they sort of have a romantic music you know I, I sometimes i hate you sometimes i love you but i always understand you and he goes oh i still love you whatever um she then goes back <laughs> to start her job and the dog comes out of nowhere that he basically leans down and scruffles the dog yeah, yeah. and that, that was apparently um stallone's trick in rocky is like rocky had to have a big dog because no matter how sad the hero is while he scruffles a big dog you can see he's sad on the inside so <laughs> she's got a dog the dog has never appeared again the dog survives the no, movie <laughs> neither's the horse she has a horse. horse he has a dog yeah and that's it <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um but aha this is where this is where the plot thickens because um mm. now we come to the treasury agency so we cut we to treasury agency where um where what's what's the name uh the um who's our who's our man who's our man in charge richard travers oh the man in of charge. course his name's travers it's travers yeah by yeah, so, by rex lynn who throughout the film is he has a, a level of apoplectic rage that, that yes. ne- never falls any lower than that. But he's brilliant because he's yeah. he's the exact middle management treasury agent because yeah. he's, he's got a, he's bald, he's got the, the hair on the side, the moustache, and he looks yeah. exactly like a treasury agent. He looks stressed. Just, he's put upon, he, isn't he? He's, he's stressed. Put. So basically, it's his job to ferry three crates filled with $1,000 bills. So it's $100,000 yeah. of cash. They go some exposition. There is a lot of exposition. We'll come to that. People do exposit very quickly do, um, yeah. and and the treasury agents do a lot of it, and so does Jessie. She it's her job because in, in this scene she just had with with Walker, she's had to deliver a lot of information. In in yeah. one might you, say quite an unnatural. You, you just disappeared. Fact. Yeah, you disappeared. You were gone for eight months. Yeah. Uh, you were working in Detroit. Yeah. We, we 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 missed you. Why have you suddenly come back? You think this is you wouldn't talk like this. I know it's, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's like she hasn't seen another human being for eight months and needs to download all the information. Yeah. At once. yeah. Well, she has. She has to summarise what he's been yeah. doing. Gabe, you were sad. You were sad. And, and Tucker's angry with you. Tucker doesn't talk to you and you're sad. And now you're, you're beating yourself up. And I still work in the helicopter. And here's the dog. <laughs> but anyway, so ex- exposition back at the Treasury. So um, so Travers is in charge of $100,000 in, in $1,000 bills. Apparently these are used for money transfers. Um, so they're no good to anybody except for, you know, the, the truly remarkable in terms of money. Um, but they still have to secure this money and they don't use armoured trucks and they don't use armoured trains because, ha they put yeah. on a plane because no one can hijack an aircraft. <laughs> Planes <laughs> don't crash, do they? We, we should say this was made in 1993. So the yeah. line, you can't hijack an American airplane was not yeah. seen as deeply ironic. It's um, a bit daft though, given that the, the argument is that cars crash and planes can be... Uh, uh, trains can be derailed but you can't crash a plane can't hijack a plane what <laughs> planes crash all the time yeah but it's, in fairness it is it is what then happens is very remarkable it's this oh, it is i mean as far as as far as stunt work goes oh, oh. i don't think i've seen a finer 
piece of stunt work. And we'll, we'll come into that because yeah. that is worth dissecting. So what does happen is the treasury plane is quite happily booging along. All of a sudden they look out the window. We should say on this plane, as well as Travers, there's a couple of other goons um, who are doing it, the pilot, the co-pilot, and an FBI agent who, as a courtesy, mm. is coming along for the ride. Unlucky. Uh, <laughs> or, or, or premeditated because uh, the FBI yeah. agent has been planted there because they suspect that somebody is planning an inside job on this money. And, and so when they spot another plane shadowing them um the fbi agent immediately whips out a submachine gun and goes it's travers travers is the inside man yeah. um which i will say is not great people skills because travers two lieutenants have been loyal to him for many years yeah. grab the fbi man and say what are you talking about uh, at which point travers goes yeah it was me and kills all three of them um <laughs> And then the pilot, who's in on it too, kills the co-pilot. So now you've got Travers and the pilot who are left alive on this plane. And now, this here comes the, the breathtaking part. They they uh, the, they blow the back off of the aeroplane, let a cable out of the back of the aeroplane. The tailing plane, filled with basically um, hijackers, mm -hmm. uh, catches this cable. And then Travers basically attaches a, like a, a slide to the cable and in midair slides from one plane to another. Yeah. And um, it's it's not it's not CGI. No, they they paid a stuntman so, to do this. A million they paid they paid a British stuntman called Simon Crane, I think. Yeah. Um, one million US dollars. Um, it was the most ex it was and it is the most expensive aerial stunt in cinema history. Yeah, because they couldn't get insured for it because it's insane. It's illegal. <laughs> it's illegal. It's it's illegal in 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 anywhere except the US. Yeah. And 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 this is the marvelous thing is the fact that in a CGI age you'd never do that you would not you would it, not risk it. It wouldn't have the impact either. I don't yeah, think. Yeah, it was fantastic. So anyway, Travers <clears throat> um, in in the reality of the film has slid from one plane to another. Um, the the hijackers make the, the comment saying why didn't you send over the money first? And Travers rather astutely goes, I didn't think you'd wait around for me. Um, yeah. We should also mention that. Um, as this hijack is taking place, we, everyone is in masks because they've all got oxygen masks because they're they're depressurized and. Um, we only hear them over the radio, so it's very clear what's being said, and you get some wonderful English accents. Um, <laughs> some be, better than others. <laughs> some better, yeah, accuracy is not a mark of quality. Some of these accents mm. are very good, if not accurate. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, the, these, although oddly, oddly, the the worst British accent yes. in the film, I think, is by Craig Fairbrass, who's yeah. British. Yes, 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 it's absolutely <laughs> appalling. Uh, we can get, yeah, we'll get to that, but yeah, I think yeah, Craig Fairbrass later to find fame on EastEnders. Yeah. authentic yeah. EastEnders accent. You can just imagine, though, he just turned up for casting. It's like, yeah, my, my name's Craig. It's like, you, 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 don't sound, you don't sound Cockney enough. Well, what would you mind? Don't sound Cockney enough. Can you make it more Cockney? Hello, me old person. <laughs> Perfect, Craig. Do it like that. <laughs> so authentic. Oh, but poor old Craig. You've got to imagine he thought, what? Is this how I get into Hollywood? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, um, given that he has he has a big spiel about being a footballer as well, which is the it's the least it's the least authentic spiel about football. I played soccer. Yeah, I played soccer. Don't I? Like like no British person has ever said. But we digress. So but we do have, um, we, should, we can reveal now that actually the, the, the head of the hijack is his name's Eric Quaylen. Um, <laughs> Another typically British name, Eric Quaylen. I said that, I thought <laughs> Quaylen's not British. And I thought, well, no, he's meant to be, isn't he? So I, I think well, he's played by, and let's just oh. go, he's played by John Lithgow um, at his scenery chewing best. Oh, I mean, it, yeah, this is peak Lithgow, <laughs> isn't it? So he's doing 
and he's doing a very English accent, which is not to say it's an accent that sounds like anyone from England, but it's a very <laughs> yeah. English accent. It's, yeah, it's a very, yeah, it's like pure English. Yeah, it's undistilled. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's no, undistilled by region or time. <laughs> or accuracy. It's perfect. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect. So it's like, come on, Quaylen, let's get going now. You're it's weird, isn't it? It's, it's weirdly, it's weirdly brilliant. You can't pick it. You can't say no. that's not right. That, that doesn't sound correct. <laughs> it's, it's completely wrong, but it's in its essence is very right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but also his, his co-pilot is uh, played by Crystal, which is obviously another fantastically British name. Yeah, who's actually is um, is British. Uh, she's a... Uh, yeah, so anyway, so she... Um, so then you, then you uh, actually yeah, we came to... Um, so as as it's so so Travis is over in the jet, um, and the pilot is now getting ready to blow up the plane and make his exit with the three bags of money. Yeah. However, he makes the the, the title of treading on the FBI agent's hand, who turns out wasn't as dead as he thought. So the FBI agent pops up with a machine gun, um, and manages to kill the pilot who falls out of the air, and then starts blazing away at the jet that's behind them. Um, and he even manages to mortally wound one of the hijackers. Where you, Which when is you get good aim. It, which is, I mean, he's just spraying everywhere, but it is fantastic. Um, <laughs> at which point, um, we get the first hint of Quaylen's character when uh, they're clutching their their comrade who's, who's shot in the chest, saying, "What do we do to him? Get him to a hospital fast!" Throws him out, yeah. <laughs> Throw him out the air. So no, there are no passengers on Quaylen's plane. Um, but again, so uh, there's there's a bit of gunfire. The the, the Quaylen's plane is getting shot up quite a bit. Hydraulics are going out and etc. Um, and then the plane, the yeah, the treasury plane blows up which solves yeah. the problem of guys shooting at them, but also means they now have three enormous suitcases full of money on a tether clinging to this plane. And the plane is already losing control and it's all a bit of a mess. And then the cable snaps and the three bags go drifting off into the Colorados. Um, and the plane is also going down to crash, which it promptly does, killing the co-pilot, leaving Crystal and a handful of Quaylin's men alive. And also Travers. Um, Travers, helpfully. So, so yeah, so uh, we now have basically our plot there are three large suitcases of money in the rockies they have tracking transponders on them and and um and travis has a, a an enormous um, handheld device which can track ridiculous them. It's, isn't it's, it? it's like what is it like it's like um it's even bigger than a speaking spell it's like a very basic yeah. 1980s arcade game that used to get like space yeah. invaders um that he it wears looks, around his neck it looks too old even for the early 90s it's like a soviet army surplus yeah tracking. yeah that's so it yeah almost a big screen and buttons where was he hiding that that's true. He must have come across with it, <laughs> but uh, yeah. um, notwithstanding, it that it that is that can track. You can get up some nice computer visuals of where the cases are. They're on the top of three different mountains. Um, so they uh, they get Crystal to call in basically mountain rescue because then they can get the helicopter and they can get the they can find the cases. Um, Crystal does a marvelous job of sounding distressed. Like, oh my God! Please come and rescue us. Billy's going into yeah. shock. We need insulin. <laughs> uh, which John Lithgow thinks is a brilliant. He goes, "We need insulin." <laughs> you have thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there was a. Uh, so they, uh, so they, they called Mountain Rescue. Of course, the weather has now come in. A storm front's arrived, so it's too bad to send in a helicopter. So uh, old T Tucker has to go in by himself, which leads Jesse to tell Walker, you know, go and support him. You know, he needs a hand. Um, and after some kind of he still hates me, Walker agrees he will go and help him. So although he then he then he's a, he antagonizes Tucker though by getting to the the <laughs> cliff ledge yes. first. Yeah. 
and as Tucker climbs up and reaches the cliff ledge, sees Walker, and you think you could have been a bit, like, be a bit less pompous. <laughs> you know, he got there first. Like, hey, I'm already here. How you doing? How you doing? Yeah. I haven't seen, I haven't seen you since I dropped your girlfriend four thousand feet. <laughs> and by the way, I'm still a better climber than you because here I am. I got here before you, and you didn't even know. Yeah. Because <laughs> where else? How would he have got there without him seeing? That's true, and there, there was there was some talk before he goes up about you know how because he, he firstly Walker's protesting you know I haven't climbed for months I've just lost the feel and um, Jesse goes maybe you've lost the nerve but there's never any evidence that, that Walker's yeah, anything other than a fantastic climber. Do you know what that is, didn't you? That's What's bullshit. That? <laughs> <laughs> That's when you don't when you really want to do a job, but it's like oh, oh I think my, my knee's playing up, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on. Anyway, so they both agree to go and find it. And then they um, we don't even see the moment they're captured. They're, they're, their next scene, they're being held at gunpoint by the whole gang. So they've got them both. Um, so they, yeah, they that's true. Yeah, that's yeah. You think that'd be it's important? It was cut to, out. Yeah, yeah, you think that would be important to see them captured, but captured they are. Um, and uh, again, they are they are told we've got to find our suitcases uh, again. Once <laughs> I'll start trying to stop quoting John Lithgow, but they're asked what's in the suitcases, <laughs> and uh, and John Lithgow suits, socks, one hundred million dollars in. in <laughs> In bonds, you know the usual. <laughs> um, and I think it's his pursed lips that <laughs> enable that very, very, both hyper accurate yes. British accent. Yeah. <laughs> if you get a bit of backstory on Quayle, when the, the FBI reveals to the Treasury officer that yeah, actually we we put our man on board because we think um, someone's after it, and here's the guy we think it is, and they show the usual kind of dossier on Quayle. Yeah. Quaylen apparently is an international thief who does have the contacts to move all this money, so they think he's he's prime suspect. Um, and and I think you have to imagine maybe Quaylen is just you know, the complete psychopath who was attempting this English accent. To I was going to say, yeah, maybe he's not English. Yeah, maybe he's not British. Yeah, I mean, maybe he did do the whole Hans Gruber thing. I mean, this thing yeah. is is we'll come to why it's so much like Die Hard, but yeah. Um, but so they. They find the first case fairly easily. Um, it's on the well. I say they're they're below it on a ledge. Um, so they send up Walker to fetch it. He asks quite reasonably for like an ice axe just to help him climb yeah. this, this, this incredible slope. But they think no, no, not even that. And then they decide to take away his jacket as well. Um, just you know, just to make it even harder. And then they decide to put a um, a rope on his leg as well, just to make be absolutely sure he's not getting away. And um, and after he's climbed up, uh, Quaylen then decides. Um, I tell you what, let's just kill him when he comes down. We don't need two guys. <laughs> Yeah. which uh, leads leads Tucker to uh, to yell out, you know, Walker, they're going to kill you. Um, and so he's kind of tipped his hand a little bit early there. Uh, so Walker manages to, uh, so let's try to drag him off the, the mountain by his rope. Uh, Walker not only throws the suitcase of money into, into the, off, the, off the cliff, he snaps the, uh, the rope by banging it with a cramp on. Yeah. And then one of the bad guys attempts to, Essentially, kill him by lobbing grenades uh, from a grenade. Which is board. great on a mountain. Absolutely, snow, snow isn't covered it? mountain. Yeah, and and predictably, and he causes an avalanche, which is a very, um, very selective avalanche because it only it's kills highly his... localized, isn't it? it uh, so Walker <laughs> gets away. Um, all the other gang manage to, to duck underneath a shelf and don't die, but the guy lobbing grenades gets blasted away. And this follows a pattern of find a suitcase of money, remove a bad guy, which is which yeah. is what the film goes yeah. into. It's it's the it's it's almost it gets a bit Agatha Christie, doesn't it? Um, not was it Nine Little Engines? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The other, then there were none. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. For um, the more politically correct <laughs> title of the film, mind <laughs> you, there's a worse title which I could have used. There is, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, <laughs> goodness what, I didn't. How bad does a book have to be that Nine Little Engines is the better version you use? <laughs> um, 
So, uh, so your walker is now with a son's son's Gore-Tex jacket. Um, but uh, <laughs> but Maggie, uh, but Jessie has now decided, you know, realised that something is up. So she's come up to by a different path to this old log cabin, where she finds Walker, who is basically shivering a lot. Um, and <laughs> but none, none, you know, none the worse for wear. Other than he, just being a bit cold, yeah, he's, he's, he's very he's had, cold. But. Yeah, he's had to climb a huge space to get here as well, in just his vest, and and he and he's shivering, shivering, and basically shivering so bad he can't he can't deliver exposition as fast as everyone else can. So you can tell he's in a bad way. Or he goes, they got the money, they want the money, they've got Tucker. Um, but, uh, but again, they're in a log cabin that seems to be some kind of. Um, it has shelter, some it's got no it's got, it's got like glass cabinets like this is a famous yeah. jumper and this is a famous ice axe or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. she smashes a cabinet and gives him the most moth-eaten ratty old woolen yeah. jumper that somehow banishes frostbite because he's all right after that it's like yeah yeah <laughs> they're all in these thick padded gore-tex and he just puts on what i would you a know, wool jumper from like wool. the 1840s it's the kind of wool jumper you wear when you want a cozy evening in the house yeah. and, yeah, and you've, <laughs> yeah. worn it, you've worn it forever and yeah. it's a bit moth it's got holes in it but yeah. it's so comfy uh, yeah and it's molded to your body shape and it just know it knows you doesn't it yes. <laughs> so he pops on this jump and he's all right again um and i think again i do wonder if this was an aesthetic choice because you know gore-tex jumpers are very warm and they're very visible it's their, their whole point yeah but they're not sexy um no and, they're not and, and, and uh, yeah yeah and if he's going to fight bad guys he needs to wear the proper die-hard tattered yeah. vest <laughs> yeah because you know and also in fairness if you've got sylvester stallone biceps that's true you might as well get him out <laughs> oh, but poor old michael rooker he's he's zipped up at least he's got the thing wrapped to his neck he's like yeah. you, can, you can poke your nose over the top of the jacket I mean. well he's a fat so <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't say that even now to his face oh god no <laughs> it's a good job no one listens to this podcast there, there was there, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine michael rooker tuning in now he'd be disappointed wouldn't he booking his flight to the midlands so he can come on and have at you yeah how do i fly from california to east midlands parkway <laughs> he's so disappointed <laughs> well, there is a scene where Michael Rocker has his big confrontation he takes off his jacket too because you know you yeah. get down to business then um, I think I'd ever take my jacket on a mantle like that you know you'd catch your death um, but oh you would but so anyway so uh, the the gang so now now because um, uh, Walker having seen where the three cases are knows where they are too he's kind of memorised the locations so he's worked out the plan that if he gets to each of them before the bad guys they will still have a reason to keep Tucker alive because they'll need him to find the next case so he very quickly finds the second case in fact um, yes and, and they still... stop burning the they burn it, didn't they? First, he steals all the money. He makes a little yeah. snowman. It's, it's a very against it the big day. He makes a little snowman and and writes on one of the thousand dollar bills. Do you want to trade? Um, yeah. Um, again, once again, but he's he's chased by one of the bad guys wearing night vision goggles. This time, he gets he with the use of a flare to blind him. He throws this bad guy off a hill off a cliff. I didn't count the number number of times people have fallen to their deaths from heights. <laughs> yeah. It must be a record in this movie because it's, it's yeah. the most favoured way of dispatching people. Um, well, you're on a cliff, aren't you? I mean, it's it's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's de rigueur. So, so, he's, so case number two is accounted for now. He does actually yeah, then later burn the money. Um, and <laughs> it's quite a funny line because he's throwing thousand yeah. dollar bills in big stacks onto the fire and saying, costs a fortune to heat this place. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I will say that's that's the limit that he and he and Jesse, who are now out in the open, um, make towards keeping themselves warm. They're, they're not humble to bivouac and they're not really no. they're in a it's small, nothing else, is there? They're in a small Dell, and I will say paper doesn't really last the night. It burns very quick. Even a, even three hundred thousand dollars of money is going to go pretty quickly. It's not like burning a big old log. Um, but, no, it isn't, is it? Yeah, paper's not great for that. 
No, so they they bought themselves about fifteen minutes of heat, but not the stats. So they they make it through the night, and actually, yeah, Quayle and the gang, what's left of them, are now in the log cabin. Um, there's, again, there's a very on the nose scene when the Quaylen's talking about how he doesn't believe that that Tucker hates Walker. It's it's he doesn't believe he doesn't trust loyalty. That's a oh no, he believes in loyalty that that comes naturally, not the kind that has to be bought. And then just happens to throw a candy bar to one of his henchmen to illustrate the point that he you know he has to feed his dogs. Yeah. Um, but so. Uh, the plot thickens even further, so now they have to go and find the third um, the third case, which is, of course, on top of the tower, which is the tallest of the mountains uh, and the hardest to get to. Um, and now the uh, the weather has cleared sufficiently that uh, that Frank, who is the uh, the last of the, the mountain rescue people, an old wizard man that likes his artistic portraits or whatever, has he's got a helicopter in. And, um, oh, he is a banana dodge. eating a monkey. He's painting a banana eating a monkey, which I thought was quite good. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Frank, Frank, <laughs> Frank is Frank is is, uh, is the avuncular. He's basically Uncle Ben, um, as you, as you as you will discover from what happens to him soon. But um, where are we now? So uh, what we have is. Um, as we 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 will let introduce them as as uh, Tucker is leading the gang to the last place, they meet two. Uh, I guess the only way to describe them is righteous dudes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a couple of uh, sort of young base jumpers, which is basically jumping off a mountain with a parachute and, and parachuting for safety, um, have also been stuck on the mountain in the storm. Uh, they've been they've been introduced earlier. They're kind of. They're, they're incredibly MTV, or at least they're an old person's idea of what MTV generation is like. It's literally like, hey, dude, we could be playing some righteous air hockey now. Awesome, man. Let's watch MTV. Okay. Um, and uh, so they they, uh, they they come up waving, hey, Tucker, what you doing there? And um, basically, yeah, yeah, Tucker, um, he, he tries to warn them off, but immediately um, one of them gets gunned down immediately by the gang. And the other one, um, in quite a nice thing, yeah, straps on a parachute and, and tries to yeah. leap to freedom, but is also shot and lands rather heavily um, to be he discovered. He survives, though, doesn't he? He does. Again, he, they, there's, he's but then nothing like, happens afterwards. No, and, and, and it's interesting why his survival is odd, because one of the gang has a gun on him the whole time. Yeah, and, and, and they and don't fire, they saying, don't fire at him. Shoot, when you shoot. And he goes into a spiral and kind of lands heavily in the trees. So you think he's a goner, but... Um, Apparently not. Um, we'll, we'll come to what's going on with the young base jumpers later on, but um, it's just ramping up the, the, the deaths here, um, which is even more so. So uh, what do we have now? So, um, so it, Tucker... it, gets, it gets a point. It becomes quite difficult to describe the plot because the 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 environment doesn't change a lot. Yeah, we'll come, we'll come to the, how it's set up. But basically, yeah. so Walker and Jesse who are still together, have decided to go up through a narrow chasm to kind of steal a march on oh. them. Um, but uh, they get filled with bats to start with. And then one, another one of the gang is told to hang back an ambush walker, um, which he, and but uh, because he doesn't know that Walker's burnt the money, he thinks Walker is holding out. Every time he asks, where's the money? He goes, I burnt it. He says, no, you yeah. haven't. Yeah. Um, and he's been told, don't <laughs> no, kill Walker. Burnt to... it. No, you didn't. I burnt <laughs> it. I did. Right. And he goes, yeah, not even you would burn that much. And he's been told not to kill Walker until he gets the money. So actually burning it was probably a very good move on Walker's yeah. part. Um, so then the, he basically beats Walker up a lot and, and has almost killed him. But then Walker, and then I'm fighting underground and Walker yeah, manages to dispatch him. Yeah, Walker manages to dispatch him by lifting him upwards onto a stalactite. Um, yeah, which is a cracking kill. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite a violent sequence as well, isn't it? Yes, yes. Because Kynet uh, has got... Um, He's got a bloody mouth and he's he's imposing, isn't he? And, he's a big um, fella. He's, he's a, fighting Stallone. He's a big fella. Yeah, he is. He was the lead character in uh, Cool Runnings as well, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah, he, he was. Is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Leon Robinson. That. Yeah, lead I, character. I, yeah, I did. Wait, uh, clock. 
No, well, he's playing a very different character, isn't he? Yes. But um, even so, for I know Stallone's a big guy, but to be able to lift him up and push him into a, stag, a stalactite. Yeah. Oof. Uh, so, yeah, the, the gang are being dwindled. Like I say, it's, it's a case of one by one. Um, but they've also decided to, to get first, they, they lay a bomb um, on top of it, of which would have killed uh, Walker had Tucker not again grabbed a radio and tried yeah, and yelled. He's good at this, isn't he? He is. So they, they, they get away that way and then they have to cross a rickety um, rickety rope bridge, which they've also managed to set a booby trap on. So um, again, Walker comes across it, sets a trap and has to run all the way back as the bridge is exploding. Um, and this is gets where the geography gets a bit confusing because then they, having, you know, there is a single rope bridge connecting one tall mountain to another. Yeah. Um, and now that bridge is destroyed. They're on the wrong side. But by virtue of swinging about a bit from one one bit of the magic together, they managed to stay on track. Um, yeah, and, and it gets it gets confusing because there's suddenly scenes where there are people you don't expect to be in yeah. the area, and it gets yeah. I got very confused at this point. Yeah. We'll, we'll come to the peculiarities of how this could happen, um, but yeah. Um, and then so the the helicopter now lands. They've used Crystal as kind of the uh, as a, a fake damsel to lure Frank into landing and uh, and capture him. Although they're not for long because uh, the last remaining gang, Delmar, guns down Frank for no particular reason. Um, poor old Frank buys buys the dust. Even half the gang were saying, "Why did you do that?" And Delmar, yeah. Oh, I did it, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, we've wasted enough time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they now again the things are looking up for the gang. They now have a helicopter uh, and they have a, yeah. a tracking on the last um, load of uh, load of money. However, Travers has, has acquired a gun and has decided he's going to be calling the shots from now on. Mm. At which point, Quaylen, uh, as if he wasn't villainous enough, grabs his girlfriend Crystal. This implied they are a couple and yeah. uses her as a as human shield and then whispers, um, "Do you know what true love is, Crystal? It's sacrifice." And he shoots her several times, <laughs> shoots her through the stomach, shoots her, shoots her dead, and then says, "Now I'm the only helicopter pilot, so we're working back together." Um, and <laughs> and but, but also with a flourish, he uh, he, yeah. is, he flings Crystal's corpse yeah, off the helicopter yeah. while he settles himself in the seat and says, "You know, you guys go and find the rest of the, the rest of the money. I'm staying here." <laughs> Absolutely for Caroline Goodall there because it looked like it, I mean Lithgow's a tall guy as well. He he grabbed her, he grabbed oh. her and threw her. Yes. Uh, so now you've got Travers, Delmar and, and Tucker as the, the last of the search parties. And and once again, before they've recovered the money, they decide that they don't need Tucker anymore uh, <laughs> because Travers thinks I'm close enough. So he, he sets Delmar to take care of Tucker, you know, on his own, which, of course, um, does not. Delmar makes a big show of beating Tucker up, but Tucker has, has retrieved Frank's uh, uh, utility knife, which he uses to, to stab Delmar and then uh, throw him over the top of the cliff as well. Well, this is, this is where we have the least convi- convincing uh, monologue about football, about <laughs> soccer I've ever heard in my life, where uh, it, 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 it transpires that Delmar was a, a, a striker. As, yeah. he, as he keeps on describing himself as a striker. I was a striker. Bloody good striker. I was a bloody good striker. I was when I played soccer. <laughs> I was a bloody good striker. And it, 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 all of his, um, all of the ways that he kind of beats Tucker up is like, all right, then penalty, pe- penalty in the 90th minute. He <laughs> runs up. It's a go. He kicks him in the stomach. All kind of <laughs> I mean, like, I, look, the, the the script has its moments, but this wasn't one of them. <laughs> um, so th- there goes the last of the henchmen, um, whereupon Travers um, discovers uh, the last of the suitcases, which also, again, Walker has got to there first and re- relieved of all the money. Um, he's actually attached the tracking device to a small rabbit, which, you know, 
I don't know how Walker manages to, to coax a rabbit into his trust <laughs> and tire device to what he does. So the, uh, so the, the, the um, oh, no. again, at which point uh, Travers machine guns the snow in, in, in anger. Um, and I will also mention that in the original cut, he shot the rabbit, but the audiences responded so badly, they had to, at great expense, reshoot the scene to make it clear the really? rabbit alive. Yeah, well, I will say, you know, so far he's killed most of the gang, his girlfriend, <laughs> yeah. two young people, and poor old Frank. And plus, you know, the lady, the, the girlfriend who fell off the, the harness. It's but the, the rabbit. rabbit was, was yeah. a step too far. So, so um, and this is the point where, yeah, Travis absolutely loses it. He's been losing it for a while, but he's now yeah. completely I think he's it. been losing it since the start, to be honest. He really has. But, and, and he, he rants over, because basically him and Quaylen is left now, and he's ranting on the radio to Quaylen, who is also not happy that Quaylen, he's, he's basically giving away the whole plan on the radio. <clears throat> but, um, but rather, because Travis basically goes, I'm, you know, I don't care about the money, I don't care about anything, I've gone crazy, and I'm on my last official manhunt. Um, rather than picking on Eric Quaylen, who's the one person who got him into this mess and has been niggling him the whole time, mm. he decides that Walker is the man who must die. So he goes to hunt Walker, yeah. and, um, and as you might imagine, is not successful, Walker. Um, <laughs> Walker, Walker falls into the ice, and just as Quaylen is about, he's hovering over him about to shoot him, <laughs> he produces a bolt gun, which is a, a sort of a thing that fires... Um, Bolts into, the earth, bolts into the rock into the rock which we've seen, we've seen him do as a, as a climber you then you attach a, a ring to it well, so i don't climb. i don't think they work like that in real life yeah well apparently you meant to use a little hammer and a, a, a chisel <laughs> yeah. and tap it because you can't punch into into granite rock. no yeah also i don't think that you know that doesn't really fulfill you know the the um the mountaineers thing of you know leave only footprints to take only photographs. <laughs> yeah, it's like true. going around the landscape punching yeah. metal bolts into it <laughs> yeah. but but is this time this target of the bolt? I mean, it's the whole thing. Like we have a nail gun in lethal weapon. It's like you see that thing used, you know, it's getting used on a human yeah, being later yeah. on. Um, and so yeah, this bolt gun, with the accuracy and lethality of a regular gun, <laughs> shoots um, shoots Travis many times. Um, at which point, um, Tucker appears on the scene, too late to do anything about it, but just in time to fish out her Walker and them to have an unspoken rapprochement. So they're friends again now. <laughs> yeah. Again, and um, Walker comes as he's been lifted out of the ice. <clears throat> it's the the last time you see him cold despite yeah. having fallen into an icy lake <laughs> yes. without any with, with just a, an old woolen sweatshirt on <laughs> yeah so we're, we're we're back um but now you know the plot thickens quaylen has also now taken jesse hostage um we didn't see how this happened. He just appears in the helicopter, <laughs> bopping around with Jesse handcuffed in the back. So they're like, ha ha ha. Um, so they decide to make a trade because they still have the third cash, the third sack of money is still intact. So Walker goes to the top of a very tall mountain. Um, Jesse is let off the helicopter. Walker then, um, instead of doing the handover, throws the money into the rotor blades of the helicopter, yeah. causing it into a spin. Um, uh, and then thus follows a fight upon a ruined helicopter as he and uh, Quaylen beat the hell out of each other. Um, Again, Quaylen particularly then topples to his death. The helicopter explodes in grand fashion, and Walker uh, is able to climb to the top where he rejoins Tucker and Jesse, and they're they're left in pretty high spirits considering quite a lot of their friends are dead. Um, yeah, they're enjoying as, themselves, aren't yeah, they? The, the treasury helicopter <laughs> flies over saying, "Hey guys, you mind the way?" They're like, yeah, "No, we're fine." Um, and, and I also they, think that decision by Quaylen right at the end to release uh, Jesse is an odd one. Because for someone who's a psychopath, he basically just he trusts Walker. Yeah. He says, okay, you release Jesse, and then I'll give you the money. Okay. You better give me the money now, Walker. Of course, he's not going to give him the money. I mean, <laughs> I what mean, a schoolboy error. I mean, the phrase "the decision is an odd one" could apply to lots of this. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> um, although I will say, again, it's it's um, 
It did strike me as the helicopter was pursuing Sylvester Stallone. That's exactly what happened in Figures in a Landscape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which yeah, we yeah, seem to be true. very simpatico this this yeah, season between you know, both picking fantasy films and now we're picking helicopter chases man films. It's very strange, isn't it? We, we're we're synchronising message. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> we're cycling together. Um, but but that's the end of the film. Man, they immediately cut to credits as we as we is, once yeah, again. No, the, yeah, there's no um, there's no uh, end, is there? Really, there's no I kind of coda. That. I admire that in films of the night. Oh, I do too. They, they, there's they too much out. nowadays, yeah. isn't there? So it's a lean one hour forty. It's even as a one hour thirty five. Get in there, get out. Yeah. Story's over. Off we go. Because yeah. we could have gone back to you know shots of Gabe brushing his horse again and, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. ruffling yeah. his dog. Yeah, was, uh, you know they look flawlessly over the banana eating a monkey picture. But no, that's it. We're done. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. And that thus ends cliffhanger. Well, that was a that was a that was white one of the, that was white knuckle, but also the description of the synopsis there, Hugh. That was that was top quality. That was <laughs> that was up there with some of the best weekend at Crombie's synopsi. Oh, I think, think I've 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 witnessed. I've I've orally heard. Um, not not an e. I don't know how else you can hear something other than orally, but um. Uh, you know, e- not an easy synopsis to go through, but uh, yeah, excellent. Well, um, dear listener, I-, I trust that you have been um, thrilled uh, by Hugh's. Um, I'm trying to, th- I can't think of any blooming cliffhanger type witticisms. I'm just not very good at that. So come back and we'll talk about it a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, dear listener. Uh, so Cliffhanger was Hugh's choice for um, October in, in season four. Um, I, I mean, we've applied the chalk to our hands. Let's <laughs> now get a firm grip on the, uh, on the synopsis it. of, of we Weekend at <laughs> um, Soon you'll be doing the synopsis, the transition pieces <laughs> and all the analysis as well. I'll be completely redundant. Um, um, I, I, won't, I won't say that I felt like Walker sitting on top of the mountain as, uh, as Tucker game face struggled <laughs> to the top there. But it looked like you could do with a helping hand to get to the can surface. You, can you just imagine what what it would have been like if I had had to have done the synopsis of this film. Oh my <laughs> days, oh, carnage! Um, but I mean, not, notwithstanding that you have already s- described 1993 as your nostalgia sweet spot, um, why did you choose Cliffhanger? Well, again, the reasons are manifold. Uh, I mean, the, the first and most obvious one is it's our John Lithgow film. And, ah, yes, indeed, John Lithgow indeed. is quite obviously the rock upon which we have built Weekend at Crombie's. We cannot, <laughs> we cannot have a year where we don't go into yes. his films. Uh, other than said Crombie, of course. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, <laughs> and also, I, I happen to remember him being particularly memorable in this movie, so I wanted to revisit it. Yeah. I don't think I've seen it since the 90s. I, I'm, ah, I, really? I think it was one of those, again, perpetually on VHS that I watched a bit. Yeah. Uh, but have not revisited again. It's it's if it doesn't appear like on say you know one of one of the movie channels like it was never on Sky Movies or never appeared on Netflix. Yeah. These things just drop off and you just you they don't do have yeah uh, and uh, per- perfect perfect for Weekend at Quamish. But I also think it was maybe it was just before the whole Sky kind of phenomenon i guess really to a certain extent so maybe it didn't didn't quite pick it up and but also it, you might expect it to appear now on things like the uh you know was it the tcm movie channel yeah, or yeah. sony movies or something like that some of the kind of more i'm not saying low grade but you know the the less popular movie channels it doesn't 
Yeah, well, I think again, a lot of these again, what appeared on Sky was just the, the the reality of you know what what the people could buy and what they could afford at the time. It's like mm. it all there's all this background of you know we'll we'll sell you this movie, we'll license you this movie for this yeah. amount, and it just again could end up in the back, back of a vault saying we're not releasing it yet. So unless you were prepared to hunt down the VHS of it, um, you would never see it. So that, again, it it fell off the radar. But I remembered it being quite a bit of a thrill ride. Again, I like the supporting cast to it. Um, I remember uh, again, and I only retroactive discovered that Rennie Harlan had directed it, who I do yeah. discover is one of my favourite uh, directors. <laughs> I mean, uh, what what a realisation. Because <laughs> you, you think to yourself, oh, who, I know I know this, because yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it, when you, you have this realisation that uh, a hack director who 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 you, you you think oh no this can't be turns out to be one of your favorite directors you think well yeah it's kurosawa it's scorsese of course there's a little bit of bergman in there no it's really harlan we start putting the pieces together think oh it is really harlan which again, <laughs> yeah, explains a lot about my taste <laughs> you said that you watched it in the 90s and you haven't seen it since yeah do you remember anything of it yeah, almost everything. Um, oh, really? But, but, but that's a peculiarity of myself rather than oh, any right, judgment okay. on the film. Yeah. Um, did I, did anything, to, not particularly, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, no, I think I, I remember, I could have generally predicted, I mean, there's, there's nuances, but no, generally I kind of knew what was happening and when. Yeah, because um, I, I mean, I, I, I've, I don't think I've seen this since the 90s either. And I actually, when, when you announced that it was going to be Cliffhanger this month, I actually said, oh, I went to the cinema to see that when it was released. But of course, I, I couldn't have because it was made in 1993. I would only have been 15. Well, I would have been 15. I just don't think I would have gone to see it. I, I think I, w- I don't think I would have. Um, oh, I think it, I might have done if I, yeah, if it was. You're, if it was... A, you're a touch older than me, though, aren't you? So maybe you, oh, you would have. Yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> Age, aged before beauty, of course. I think actually, um, yeah, I, I probably would have because it would have been. Because um, I remember seeing 15 films before I was 15, and that was the thrill. So I, so if I even was at the cinema, it, Hugh, even, even at the cinema. cinema. Oh, oh yeah. How did, you, I, how did you manage that? With a bit of confidence. You with know, your so. with, with a moustache. <laughs> Hello, I've got a ticket for Terminator Two, please. Have <laughs> <laughs> <And> some cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do not condone smoking, but I do condone seeing yeah. uh, films that are too old for you because you know you, that that way allows personal growth. So oh, I may right. have seen I may have seen that in the cinema because I was I was certainly within. I wouldn't have put me off. Where eighteens, no. you know, did scare me a little bit, but a fifteen, yeah, that's fair game. Well, um, it, as it as it happens, it wasn't cliffhanger that I I recall seeing at the the cinema. It was daylight, which oh. is another Sylvester Stallone film about oh, tunnel. Yes. Uh, yeah, and and that was made in 1997, um, and I I vividly remember seeing that, um, which is another potential weekend at Crombie's film actually because it's that's been lost to the vaults. So um, you think that Cliffhanger was new to you? No, no, no. I I've seen Cliffhanger before. I just oh, haven't right. seen it. I did see it in the cinema. Ah, okay. Uh, no, I've I've seen it a number of times, but not for many, 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 many years. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember anything about it, which is <laughs> which is a, a, a quirk of my personality <laughs> rather than anything about the film. <laughs> um. So yeah, okay. So a bit of nostalgia. Um, seen it before, but not for a long time. Obviously, John Lithgow. You know, this year's John Lithgow film, um, and the supporting cast. Very, very good. Anything else that kind of attracted you to it? Um, again, it was mostly that that memory that, that hooked onto it because, in fact, it doesn't fulfil the weekend at Crombie's criteria. It was a very successful movie. It was a very it successful movie. Budget yeah. of seventy million, box office two hundred and fifty-five million. It was the so, tenth biggest grossing film of nineteen ninety-three, which doesn't sound very impressive, but actually, two there were some big films that year. So Jurassic yeah. Park was number one, for example. Ooh. Yeah. 
but you tell you what that um this is the funny thing in the tentpole era of films you'd think well only like three or four big grossing films a year aren't there but in those days there were lots oh, of films and you had you had, a pack to fight. you had to break ahead of the pack you did um, you did and you know even so this was a box office hit and you know it, it, it the director whose only credit was die hard too yeah as well uh, absolutely now look I, th- I think Die Hard 2 is underrated. Um, I think it's a very, very good film. In the wake but, of the other Die Hards, certainly it is, yes. In the wake of the other Die Hards, yeah. Every time I, I, they make a new Die Hard, I like Die Hard 2 more. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's underrated. I mean, it, it's one of those things, it suffers from being a sequel to one of the greatest action thrillers yeah. of all time. Yeah. That's the problem. But on its own merits, it's it's pretty good. It is good, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Um, you know, which which doesn't help in the I need to find a film by Rennie Harlan that I don't like, <laughs> <laughs> just to, just to bump the just to bump the average down a bit. I can't have Rennie Harlan in my top three directors of all time. I cannot. I need Kurosawa, to start watching his newer Stanley stuff. Kubrick and ooh, let's say Rennie Harlan. <laughs> oh God. Um, Catford Island. I think Catford Island might be on the card. So oh, yes, yeah, so I've not seen that. Maybe I need oh, to. Oh, I. And I think I think there might be a reason why it's yeah. managed to miss both Um. Th- yeah. So it, it, you're right. It, it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't necessarily touch on one of the pillars of Weekend at Commerce, which is that it was a box office failure because it wasn't. It was a very very big success. But it has been largely forgotten, and it does fulfil another of the kind of the three-pronged Weekend at Crombie's criteria, which is nostalgia. Um, and I think that there are some films which are, you know, profoundly nostalgic and are successful and have remained in the public consciousness, which aren't right for Weekend at Crombie's. But I think Cliffhanger is one that is right because of that public consciousness. Um, it's not. It's not revered um as really uh in terms of the kind of big blockbusters of of the early 90s certainly it isn't and um and and yeah it's it's i think unfairly so actually yeah um so we can come into the themes of it i think mm. um and i think one of again the, the big standout for me well at least the two of them is i mean this is fantastic for vistas you know the, as, as you'd expect it's not it's mm. shot in italy it's not the dolomites rather than in colorado yeah. but so, same as um same as the the il grande silenzio is it oh my yeah God. so that's the dolomites as well oh i just want to get a big ball of string and connect all these movies together <laughs> yeah i know, I know. This is going great <laughs> well again we we haven't even mentioned what was the name of the treasury agent's boss in this uh paul winfield paul winfield again last seen in white dog white dog uh, yes exactly that's right that's, that's again, very yes of course because every time i see him now every time i see him now i think oh he's the actor from white dog he, uh, uh, he's got a very distinctive face as well hasn't he yeah of course yeah, that's yeah. paul winfield yeah <laughs> there is there, there is a big pinboard with colored string to there be is. made out of every weekend at Crombie's film um this is fantastic you know <laughs> i think this time there's a third spin-off where we just discuss the connections between <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's, it's you know it's they say if maybe it's like you you only need 30 people in a room for two people to share a birthday you know you think it's going to be a lot more than that but it's only 30 so statistically we've probably seen enough films now that they all have a connection it's fantastic <laughs> It is. I mean, what, what a what a back catalogue we've got. <laughs> Apple, Apple, they'll be knocking at our door for, well, probably for something. I'm not sure that they'll be Copyright knocking at our door. Yeah, that's probably it, yeah. <laughs> 
but we will have to. So again, the vistasness are beautiful. Um, we'll come into how well that is is actually portrayed into the story, but it's the look of it alone. And when they, when you have just shots of you know one or two men climbing the mountain or a party of people going over the, the summit, it's yeah. lovely. Um, it's 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 shot for effect like that. And again, the other thing is because of the nature of I think both the director and the time it was made, it's there are. It's mostly practical effects. Obviously, yeah, there's some, exactly there's some going, going on, yeah. but it's it is stunt yeah. work, isn't it? It's just good yeah. stunt work. Stunt work. Again, yeah, they're, they're using you know, real professional climbers. Some of the best climbers in the world were part yeah. of this. Um, the the stunt with the plane is worth, oh, worth watching incredible. for itself. It's fantastic. Interesting. I, I can't. I can't think of a better. As I say, I can't think of a better stunt. And the what's the film with Bane? Uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Oh, yeah. yeah. But the opening sequence of that is pretty impressive. But I think. I don't know. Up until then, I don't think I'd seen anything quite as good as hair raising as that stunt anyway. I see you mentioned that and I can't remember how the Bane thing went down. Was this because it was relatively simple? Um, well, it was I... more internal. So it was more um, it was filmed if, if it was filmed from inside the plane. Mm. Uh, so I think that there was quite a lot of CGI. I mean, I, I don't want to dis- I don't want to diss Christopher Nolan if he's put a lot of it into that stunt. But it felt well, like Chris it was Nolan more... did, did like to do it practically. But I don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't... But, I can't yeah. imagine it was full practical though. Yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have paid a million dollars and put a man's life at risk to get. The but, shot. And it was. There's no safety net or anything. It's just him going yeah. on a wire between t- no harnesses between oh, two planes. God. Oh <laughs> yeah! Crazy. Oh my god! It's crazy. Yeah. At fifteen thousand feet. Yeah. But but again, in addition, in addition to that, that that's the showstopper. But in addition to that, you yeah. have people getting clinging onto cliffs and and yeah, do, leaping yeah. around the place and. Um, yeah, it's it's all absolutely fantastic. I think partly the uh, the introduction of the two base jumpers was to show a bit of base jumping as well, which is it probably was. Yeah, it? which why not? Yeah, yeah, it's like things you do on a mountain. Um, yeah. So that was, I think, that's a huge plus in its favour. Um, and uh, in fact, I think actually the, when when its set pieces are original, I think the the two standout set pieces for me well, again as the air heist, uh, again the cliff rescue at the beginning, the thing that sets it all yeah. off, it's it's. Your, your heart's in your it's, throat. Oh, it's so tense. And you know what? The, those the first twenty minutes of the film, twenty twenty five minutes of the film, contain two. I mean, one timeless stunt that yes. is struggle to better, and one piece of high tension. I mean, literally high tension that um, had me on the edge of my seat. Um, and I know what happens, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and yeah, you can, can you kind of tell what happens, yeah. But yeah, it's fantastic. Oh. Yeah, because it looks it looks so real. That's yes. the thing. It looks so real, and it obviously isn't. I mean, it can't. You can't have had Sylvester Stallone and Michelle Joyner as Sarah hanging over a four thousand foot drop. You couldn't have had that. So it obviously wasn't real, but it was done because of the practical nature of it. You believe it. Yeah. And it's 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 also sold very realistically too because again she's not basically Sarah is is us she, uh, she yeah, anyone yeah. who's not a professional climber is Sarah in that position she's surrounded by people who are experts who strap her into all this stuff tell her she's safe yeah. and slide on the line and that's what happens to you if you're you know if you're out of your comfort zone and experts looking after you so the thought that then a buckle snaps the oh, straps all slide stress. out of their places and you're stress. left clinging on while everyone yeah. else panics around you is, is and, just, and also oh. it's that pr- primal fear because height I'm not great with heights I mean. I don't know anyone who's really great with heights. Like, oh, I love I don't getting know who's great at one thousand foot drops. No, that's what I mean. Yeah, so you you feel it, don't you? You think, oh god, you can imagine that happening. It's not like the most extraordinary explosion you've ever seen in your life. It's yeah, you could yeah, fall yeah. off that. 
Yes, yes. My, my, I didn't particularly, yeah, when the FBI agent gets blown up in the plane in midair no. after having a gunfight with terrorists, yeah. I didn't yeah. quite think that could be me. But no. yes, but Sarah, Sarah's demise thinking, oh my God, yeah, that, that yeah. was brilliant. And in fact, yeah, so I mean, those, well, those were its original set pieces. But when it does become, I mean, it's very obviously Die Hard on Mountain. They even described mm. it like that because it is. It's, it's a lone guy against the odds mm. in a set location beating off bad guys one by one, etc. It's, it's Die Hard on a Mountain. And when it becomes that, it's much less... Again, original and interesting yeah yeah and i think there's a couple of reasons for this partly because because it's not original so they've 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 done the stuff that makes it special and now they're just going down to the chase and one thing is that walker is never really up against it um it, it looks like mm. he should be because he's deprived of his gear and he's you know they've got guns and they but he is so much more adept in the mountain than they are he is always one step ahead of them he gets to every single suitcase yeah. of money before them and and is even like you know, able to taunt them or steal it from them or anything like that um so even though they've got a hostage and even though they've got guns and even though they're fairly ruthless they don't really have the upper hand on him so you don't get that pressure that for instance again that john mcclain had of yeah. being absolutely on on the edge of survival um yeah which is yeah you're right yeah so so uh, there's more threat with john mcclain isn't there there's more threat yeah. whereas uh, sylvester and also i think because maybe bruce willis he, at, at the time he, he wasn't an action hero was he you know, where Sylvester Stallone, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's got biceps the size of my house, right? So he's just, he's just going to pummel through everyone. But yeah, you're right. They, they, he's not, he's not in, he's not threatened, even at the point at which he's being beaten yes. to a pulp by Kynette. He, he, he's never really in trouble, is he? You know, there's, you know, it's not going to happen. I, I, I don't, but I mean, I don't mind that so much because I suppose this is a Sylvester Stallone vehicle yeah. and you know what you're going to get. I appreciate that. Um, you, you know, if, if this was an absolute classic, it, there would have been more vulnerability perhaps and, and various other, other kind of tropes, but I don't know. There's something about this, something about the familiarity and the comfort of this type of film where the, the Sylvester Stallone character He's never, you know, there's no chance that he's ever going to be threatened. Yeah. Just so, you know, go with the flow. It's almost like see what he's going to do yes. to get out of these scripts. And that's quite fun. It is. Actually, interestingly, again, I learned this from the, the, the uh, director's commentary. Um, and this this might shed a bit of explanation to why I felt how I did about it is the other issue I had with it is um, for a film that is very much set in a certain place, mm. I didn't get a great sense of geography from it. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't, even though there's mountains, there's three locations, there's three suitcases, and you should know who's where. Mm. I didn't quite know where everyone was at certain times. I didn't quite get yeah. whether Tucker or Walker was ahead of the pack or behind yeah. them, who was chasing who, how far they were away, whether something was possible or not possible, whether a mountain yeah. was, was, was scalable yeah. or not, and all this kind for of me, stuff. It was, yeah, for me, it was distances I struggled yeah. with. So yeah. um, there's a scene late, late in the film where, um, as you've described it, Travers... Um, he goes, he goes bonkers, and he, he goes, he goes for Walker. The kind of ice lake where there's a bridge, and it's really icy, and it looks completely different to anywhere else that we've seen yeah. on the mountain. It, it, I mean, it's, it's obviously a set; it looks like a set, but it, it looks, it looks almost medieval, like it's a different world kind of. And I think, well, where, where is this in the mountain, and how has Travers got there, and how has Walker got there, and then how does Tucker get there? Yes, um, it, because it. They can't be that. I mean, there are three mountain peaks. You can't just walk from one mountain peak to another 
quickly. You know, it would take days. Yeah. Yeah. So how does this happen? And I, I never quite got a handle on it. They're all they all seem to be quite close to each other, but at the same time, very far away from each other. I, I couldn't work it out. Yeah. Well, this was the other part is I was saying, again, the fact that we never see him have an all is lost moment. The moment when he thinks mm. I can't you know, close to the end is mm. when the hero has to rally himself. I can't make this. Yeah. I've reached an object I can't surmount and I've got to dig deep and do this. And in fact, I think this would solve two problems. It's the moment when he tries to cross the rope bridge and it blows up and, he, and he's basically stuck mm. on one very tall mountain trying to get to the other very tall mountain where his friend and the money is. And and he can't get over it because you know, there is now no way across. So what the, happens in the original, and this was shot as the film, is he jumps, basically. He ties a rope around his middle and he mm. makes a colossal jump from the, the one end of the chasm to the other. And he, of course, makes it and he climbs up to the, the shave first. And, and he, and, yes, we'll, <laughs> we'll come to that. And then he tells Jesse, which is what they separate. He tells Jesse, you go off and find Frank. I'll continue after the money because now I've got, yeah. I'm now, I can, I can continue. That was his, like, I think that was meant to be the slump as in, we can't make it across. There is yeah. no way. Oh, I can do it. I can risk my life. I'll do the incredible jump and I'll make it. And when when it was shot and shown to test audiences, they said, that looks ridiculous. No one can make that jump. You've gone yeah. from a very good mountaineer to like Superman. Yeah. And, they had, and they, it's even in the trailer. And they cut it because people oh, laughed. Is it? Like, they cut it because people laughed. Um, I'll come back to the trailer too, because that's interesting. They cut it because people laughed. And so instead of doing that, we get that very confused thing where they just go, you go that way, I'll go that way, and I'll get ahead of them. And that somehow yeah. solves it. And therefore, yeah. I, lo- but, I lost But the how can it solve it? Yes, I lost the yeah. geography because they'd clearly gone around the problem. And I also lost the the drama of he can't because they were just continuing their journey. Yeah. So it was interesting that that thing that was just a bit too over the top robbed the movie of what I felt was a bit of its journey. And actually, in a film which is and I don't mean this, I don't mean this as a negative necessarily, but in a film which is full of absurd and ridiculous <laughs> plot points and decisions, when I think about it, when you describe that 300-foot jump or whatever it was, my initial reaction is, oh, what? But actually, in a film where you can suspend belief to a certain yeah. extent because the film is entertainment, why can't you have that superhuman jump um, to explore the desperation of the, the Gabe character? Yeah, whether he makes it or not, I mean, it doesn't matter really. It's just, yeah. it's just the, it's the principle that you had to do it. Yeah, because I, because I've literally filmed it. I've seen the clip in the the, the extras, yeah, the DVD, okay. and um, it is that very moment of I am because there's lots of slow motion running of, of Stallone and yeah. everything. It is that moment when almost like any other, unlike any other point in the movie, he is consciously risking his life in in that kind of sense as in he is obviously everything he does is death defying yeah but this is the point where he goes i might die doing this and he jumps across he doesn't just you know he doesn't land neatly on his feet he slams against the wall and has to yeah. dig in with his, with his fingers to make it across so it's not like he just skips lightly from one to the other so i don't know i'd have left it in i think it, i think i think it yeah robbed the film a little something there Le- left it in with the risk that it will be ridiculed um but leave it in because it's spectacle. And yeah. this film is in large sp- about spectacle, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so so what, why not leave it in? And, you know, you, you can, you can, as I say, you can, you can suspend your, your belief a little bit, can't you? It, you know, you've got, you've got uh, an in-air transfer 
Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, don't worry about it, almost. Yeah, um, so I'm kind of going against yeah. my initial reaction yeah. a little bit. Yeah, there. the helicopter battle at the end is pretty remarkable. It's pretty ridiculous. I know, it? the helicopter is, 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 we didn't mention this, he grabs the winch and clinks it onto a, a metal ladder attached to a mountain. Yeah. The helicopter yeah. pulls off the ladder with Stalillo attached to it. It then kind of clings on for a bit while they beat each other up. Yeah. And then it falls to, to explode in remarkable. So it's not like this was very true to reality anyway. I would have gone. If you're looking it, for Quaylen, he's 4,000 miles. South. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say at the end. <laughs> but not 4,000 miles. They're not, they're oh, not, no, meters. They're, they're not right, in the yeah. Marianas Trench. <laughs> uh, although, again, so clearly the, the, the test audiences didn't like it. So, the test audiences served this film very badly. They could have shot the rabbit too. Put that yeah. scene back in and shoot Put, the rabbit. There's, there's, yeah. there's my two changes. If nothing else. Then you got your Oscar. <laughs> you, you do, yeah. Well, if nothing else, it just serves that it serves the evidence that people don't know what they're talking about, do they? Exactly. Scourge of everything. Mind um, you also, the other deleted scene uh, Rene Harlan was saying was deleted for, and there's a very good reason, actually. It's um, it's when, it's the moment after Walker's had his jacket taken away and he's made his escape, and he has to he has to ascend a frozen waterfall. Um, what? Yeah, what, rather than just you know, being a bit chilly and making things, he also has to ascend a frozen waterfall to get there, and it's ridiculous because the waterfall is made of fiberglass and um, uh. and it, it looked because uh, Harlan was saying I'm from Finland and those icicles they were not good icicles. I'd know, I'd know, and if enough, <laughs> that did deserve to be cut. So you know, six of one. But, we, but you know, right? Okay, he's cut that, but he doesn't cut the the the, the um, bolt shooter into the mountain. <laughs> you can say, "Well, I'm a mountaineer, and I know that, that wouldn't happen either." Um, it's swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Swings and roundabouts. Um, yeah. Okay. So I got, I got a, a couple of things right. on 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 the kind of themes that you've you've described as well. You, you mentioned at the start that the vistas as being one of the main things. I I, I think that there's there's something in that. Um, there's something in in how that's composed which is why I, I quite enjoyed the film so um you you do get the vistas are great but what i like about the way that it's constructed is that it's in some instances they're clearly shooting on location yeah. and in some instances they're clearly shooting in a set or on a set um but i think that the transition between the two is really well done um and it's helped by um, some really incredible matte paintings in the background. So, and I don't, I don't always think you can tell what's a painting and what's a real location shot. Um, and th they are, they are brilliant. They are absolutely brilliant. Some of the matte paintings in this. I, I, I recall. I don't know if you've seen Black Narcissus, which is um, a Powell and Pressburger film, which is set on the. Um, it's, it's, it's actually set on the Himalayas. Okay. And obviously they didn't go to the Himalayas to film this. They filmed it in, in like Shepperton Studios or something, but they hired a matte painter to, to, to paint all of these, you know, huge mountains in the background and they filmed it. And it, it's incredible because it's it, never it, good matte painting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, don't get me wrong. It doesn't, it's an odd effect because it doesn't necessarily look like the real thing. Right? It doesn't necessarily look like you're there because there's a stiltedness to the atmosphere. There's an echoey nature to it. But in terms of making just the beauty of them and the trans, what uh, what Black Narcissus does well is just the pure beauty of the map paintings. But what 
cliffhanger does well is the transition between location shooting and studio shooting, which I think is really, really good to the extent that you, you forget sometimes that they're in a studio uh, at all. Um, and, and when they are shooting on location, you might have a close up of, say, Sylvester Stallone climbing up the edge of a mountain, which is clearly a studio. Yeah. And then it pans back further and further and further into the location shot with the matte paintings in the background. And you see a tiny Sylvester Stallone climbing up this huge mountain. It's really well done. It, and that is not an easy thing to do. And I think it really adds to the atmosphere of the film. The, the other thing on that, there is some exceptional miniature work as well. So and to a thing, I, it, 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 you have to double take a few times to realize that it's not real. It's actually miniature work. So when the plane crashes at the start, it's 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 miniaturization. So you've got a to- you've got a toy plane crashing through what is clearly a model of a, a a mountain. I say clearly, it's a model of a mountain with model trees, like, you know, little Lego trees and stuff like that. But it's done so well that I don't think you notice it. Yeah, you it, say it, clearly, I did not clock any of this. I, I, yeah. I, I, that's a very good. So, so, so when the plane crashes, when it actually crashes and it loses its wing and it, it goes through a load of kind of trees, that's all miniature. That's all nice. miniature work. Um, so, so there's, so this is leading up to a point. I'm, I'm kind of waffling here, but it's, it's leading up to the point. So you've got the matte painting, you've got the miniature work, which is fantastic. You've got the location sh- shooting, which is also really good, which builds into this concept of very high quality, dangerous stunt work. So for me, those things together, I, I think you've got a really great action film, which deals with the professional nature of kind of good quality filmmaking. And that sounds stupid for a Sylvester Stallone hemmed um, action film from the early nineties, but I can't fault Rennie Harlan in cliffhanger for the way that the film's action is presented. Right. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And he did the same in the long kiss. Good uh, long kiss. Good night as well. Um, so I don't think Harlan is a fantastic director of, um, uh, he's not a fantastic director of relationships, not a fantastic director of uh, character development or interplay necessarily, but boy, can he shoot an action scene. Yeah. And boy, can he shoot an action scene. And for me, Cliffhanger, feel, it feels like the last, It's it must be one of the last full kind of analog works of art, right? Because none. it doesn't feel like any of this is CGI. Yeah. It, it feels if there is cgi in it it's very very limited and it's not it, it's not the cgi doesn't exist to look at the cgi it exists to maybe Smooth enhance the, the yeah a bit like it did in the social network right it enhances what you can see rather than it's what you're Replaces actually kind of dealing with yeah, yeah. so i i feel like in uh, after after 93 94 i mean i think jurassic park is probably the transition point which was 93 where suddenly cgi became how you do action yeah. Um, unless you're deliberately not doing CGI, right? You might have a, sm- a smaller budget or whatever. Yeah. Although ironically, Actually, Jurassic Park used a lot of practical effects and it, it did as well to, to match it up. But everyone saw the CGI and thought, it, everyone saw the we, CGI. We got to go, yeah. we gotta go yeah. with you know, CGI now. I certainly don't want to criticise Jurassic Park because it's a great film. And actually that does, by blending the CGI and the practical effects, yeah. it works fantastically. Yeah. Cliffhanger is, for me, one of, I can't think of a film later that is almost all analogue, practical stunts, practical effects, um, in, a, in a traditional form that is done so well. And, you know, the fact that it uses matte painting, the fact that it uses miniatures, the fact that it uses sh- location shooting to build this world, 
I mean, that that's high technical quality, that is, high technical quality. And for me, films like this, these kind of action films, I can I can forget about the absurdities of the plot. I can forget about the script, right? If if it's high technical quality in the action and how to get from action scene to action scene, I'm happy. Yeah. Because that's what this I don't I don't need much more from a film like this. That's the thing. It's it's it does wear what it is on its sleeve. It's called cliffhanger. Yeah. It involves a man hanging off a cliff and it involves <laughs> some cliffhanging action. It's you're not you're not deceived of what you're getting there. It's also I mean, yeah, you, right, it's also built, I think, on again I don't know. I don't you can this is from someone who's never made a film before, right? So just bear with me. Sorry, Martin Scorsese. Filmmaking comes across as being quite a complex thing, right? Um but films like cliffhanger show that it outside of the technical prowess of actually delivering the film making a good film can be quite simple right there are a few ingredients that you need just to make a good film an entertaining film the plot in cliffhanger is it's pretty simple isn't it i mean it's a solid plot it's simple it's not complicated there are some issues with geography but the plot itself you can it's you know you can write it on the on a on a on a napkin right it's not complicated so the premise is simple the plotting is not complicated it's got a good lead so stallone is good in this yeah. you know he's a really good presence in this and it's got a great villain and lithgow is great in this as well oh, God. and and this not it's this isn't complicated cinema right it's yeah. just this is this is these these are the ingredients for an entertaining film yeah, it's just great fun. And just a good point to mention actually the trailer, because I, I caught the trailer because I wanted to see this jump that got ridiculed off it. But also I was just interested in the trailer. And um, it's not like other trailers in the 90s. And it's not even like trailers now. It's quite its own thing, which is remarkable. Oh, really? It's, it's Yeah, it's pretty worth tracking down on YouTube. It is basically yeah, a compilation of all the exciting bits, as you imagine a trailer is. But that's all it is. There is no dialogue from the characters, which is used nowadays to explain Whoa, the plot. That's weird. There is no voiceover from the, from you know the voice of God to explain what's happening. <laughs> yeah. It is just um, you know ninety seconds of this all this smash cut with Dies Irae being played at full tilt over really? all of it. Yeah, and, oh, do, 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 do. and of course it's none getting, of that is in the film. <laughs> no, which I think I'm going. What if they put it? That'd be fantastic. Oh, but it's, it's it just ramped good. up and up and up. And the only thing I think you get with it is just two words flying at the end saying hang on oh and yeah okay. it's just if, if i mean it, and it sells the film perfectly if you want that kind of experience you're going to get it from this film and it's just it's really interesting that they did they didn't do like you know because they could have done stallone looking you know sort of sad yeah. and forlorn so i've lost my body gabriel like, gabe walker was yeah. a lost soul yeah, like, yeah. yeah they, could, they could have done the Rocky thing like he's he's down but he finds his mojo yeah. again or they could yeah. have had any one of Lithgow's sneering lines in it as, as well but they don't they just have a like a bang 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 it's like the fire yeah. show it's just all these things and it's awesome it's absolutely oh, I'm going to check that out yeah I'll yeah. check that out after we finish recording but what, yeah. what you said clocked into yeah that, that ties in with what was in the trailer yeah well I, I, if it sounds like the trailer might even be better than the film <laughs> <laughs> i love a trailer I like, I, like, I like i like the old trailers used to come on the front of vhs this is nostalgia again they don't make trailers yeah. like they used to I no they say, don't I, do they i will say one th- again one thing i know this this film is not you know not been made for its plot but here's one thing that snagged for me is that um where do we begin uh the, the the whole point of you know walker's arc is you know there was this tragedy at the beginning and he's recovered from it yeah. but 
we don't get the sense that Walker was doing anything wrong. He, no, we don't. Ev- do everyone we? says that Walker did the right thing and it was just an accident. Um, and and the problem is again that Tucker has not blamed him and Walker hasn't forgiven himself. But the thing yeah. he actually did is a problem to be solved. Um, and in fact, it's very heavily implied that Tucker's the problem because he went up a mountain with yeah, a very inexperienced with someone who doesn't yeah, to yeah can't climb a mountain very experienced yeah. and and not so she died because her buckle gave way. But let's saying, well actually it will come actually this in a minute. So so this is the problem. It doesn't and it doesn't actually get resolved. Tucker realizes that he does love Walker in the end and he wants to save his life. So they come together over that. But the 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 root of their relationship where it broke is never addressed at all. No, it's not and, changed, is it? The, no, I mean, and, what what yeah. what makes what makes Tucker go back to uh, Walker has nothing to do with redemption. No, it's the fact that he sees Walker's life is threatened. And, yeah. And Walker is also putting his life in danger to save Tucker. So they go yeah. on the line for each other, but they're not actually addressing what the problem was. And funny enough, I think it was it was almost almost there because um, there is a scene halfway through the movie when uh, Walker and Jesse have tried a very dangerous stunt to, to escape this 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 peril. The, mm. An explosion's gone off, and they've had to extend a long rope and swing around to a different part of the ledge. Yes, and they yes. make it, and the rope snaps, and then. Yeah. Um, Walker is left holding Jesse with one arm just as he was holding Sarah with one arm and she's slipping and you get the entire flashback but then he manages to find the strength to flip Jesse up and she's able to catapult herself because it's implied she is an experienced climber and I thought if somehow you could have had Tucker Tucker see that and almost that could be the connection saying Oh, I, I, it was my mistake. It wasn't you making a mistake. It was actually Sarah wasn't able to do the thing yeah. to save her life. Because they were saying Sarah just reached up and grabbed the rope and she wasn't able to do it. She was too inexperienced, too frightened. And if he'd seen that it was that actually Walker had done the right thing and he had the strength to save a human being like that. And if and it was, in fact, Jesse was able to do it, I thought, well, that could have tied everything together there yeah. a little bit neater. And that would have. Um, so that's, I think. And maybe again, Walker again was never really at fault. That's that's a whole other problem. It's the fact that he all he lacked was the not again. I guess he didn't really. He didn't, he didn't lack show, anything. He didn't, he didn't lack, lack anything. confidence in his no. climbing at all. Yeah, no. He, he just kind of needed Tucker to forgive him, which isn't a great arc for the hero to be. Yeah, in, but it would have been that, better. Than that's anything. an issue. Yeah, I, I thought that as well. That that's an issue of plot of plotting, isn't it? That that's that that's a problem there. And um, yeah, you're right because again, there's. <laughs> the film needs that redemption and it's it, it's got it but it's 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 almost fake redemption isn't it it's got redemption because it needs to have a redemption scene yeah. but there's no genuine redemption there you're right uh, if if yeah if tucker had seen um walker and jesse uh, he would have realised. Yeah, and if it had um, been made a bit more clear too, because actually, yeah. Yeah, Tucker and Walker have a confrontation at the very start when they basically yell at each other. They don't. They don't actually get to the nub of it because because Tucker never says, you know, you shouldn't have gone out. You couldn't lift her. And Walker no. says, yes, I could. She just couldn't make the jump or whatever. Yeah. And if it had been made very clear what the problem was, because they were just going, I hate you. No, I'm not. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, no. I, hate well, you. They, well, well, I mean, yeah, you're right. Because Tucker was saying at the start, I, I blame you. Yeah. Uh, and and Walker saying I did what I thought was right. Well, you didn't. You did it wrong. I told you not to go out on the on the rope. And it's like, yeah. well, that had nothing to do with it. Yeah, the rope would have gone anyway. And then because yeah. they were saying I could have built a harness. Well, no, she went very very quickly. Went, so, yeah. so if they just said you know, you couldn't have done it, you know, no one could have held up someone that for that yeah. long, whatever. And he said yeah. no. Then he proves he could have done it by saving Jesse. And he go, and the light drops from Tucker's eyes. The other thing was from the very beginning when they're captured by the bad guys, Tucker is putting his life at risk to save Walker. Almost immediately. Yeah, when when they say we're going to kill Walker when he comes back down, Tucker yells, they're going to kill you, which could have very easily ended up getting getting shot. Um, So 
there's no again they're, they're already looking so there's no real kind of like even though Tucker says later I hate Walker it's like you really don't no. <laughs> even uh, Eric Quaylen goes no you really don't <laughs> yeah, right. all evidence points to the contrary <laughs> yeah the fact that you will risk your life to save him so you're not fooling me there um, yeah. so I think that, I think that could have just been shot up a bit again it's all about the spectacle and stuff but if we're going to have that story played out which is you no know, it's all the set piece sets it up quite strongly that this is a problem yeah. that needs to be overcome i think yeah. they could have done it better and i think on, on the subject of kind of civilian casualties i didn't think it was absolutely necessary for the bad guys to keep killing people at every interval we know they're bad from yeah. the start uh killing the base jumpers seemed a bit gratuitous um and didn't really get us anywhere it was just yeah. a case of let's just kill some more guys and in fact I I kind of preferred it if the base jumpers had got away because the way they almost get away is quite a spectacle too. They, it is, isn't it? Yeah. They're running through the forest, strapping on the parachutes in fear of their lives and leaping off a mountain to escape. Yeah. I thought that's quite cool. I thought they didn't need to die. But even if they had got away, it would still have been pointless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> would it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it would just doing... have been a nice five minutes of going, oh, that's, that's another good stunt. Yeah. Well, again, and also, the, again, the killing of poor old Frank also seemed gratuitous. Um, yeah. I mean, I almost you can thread the plot there because they needed to have a helicopter. I suppose yeah. they could have captured Jesse and got one. But all there is, they needed a helicopter, um, and they needed him to slip him a knife. But they could have—he could have got a knife by other means, and they could yeah. have got a helicopter by yeah. kidnapping Jesse. So killing Frank again was gratuitous. And actually, to play this back into Die Hard is that all the sort of civilian deaths there are in some way morally justified. Like Ellis dies because he's an idiot, <laughs> and he gets <laughs> is that morally justified? Well, okay, he's an idiot. <laughs> He's a yippy idiot. Of course, he's just a fan. But uh, you yeah, know, fair they, enough, yeah. they bring it on themselves. And even Takagi dies because he doesn't realise the threat yeah. he's in soon enough. But yeah. imagine if they'd gone and killed Argyle. It's like, yeah, that's it, equivalent yeah. of killing the base jump. It's like, no, we wouldn't have enjoyed that. We, we yeah. don't mind innocence dying if they kind of get their just desserts or they're caught up in it. But you don't just randomly kill people you like because it makes yeah. the bad guy seem badder. And I think that yeah. was a, a mistake in the film of thinking just having them kill more extras made us hate them more and made the film ramp up tension. I think that was, again, it, it, it undercut the fact that you had three friends in a mountain laughing and joking because they've got three funerals to go to when it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> um oh, but there is something about um the you, you're right about that yeah i, I think that's that's a, a misstep but the film is slightly more violent than, than i was expecting it to be i know that it was a 15 but it had to be cut so that it got through the scent the uh the, the yeah the censors um, i think this is the 90s i think this, this, yeah this is yeah me, me too me too because i think if this was made now it would be a 12 Oh. And I don't mean I don't mean to say that if it was made now with the violence in it, it would be a twelve. I think that they would they would make it less violent. Absolutely, because when uh, when Delmar is beating up Michael Rooker, he's laying into him like there's, oh, yeah, there's, there's gore coming out of Michael Rooker's mouth. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not and, and when yeah, same with Kynette and, um, oh, and Stallone, oh, okay. and it's it's pretty grim in places. Yeah. Um, so I do I do think yeah, it, it, but I quite like that. I quite like the fact <laughs> that the early nineties one of the you know it almost feels like today big blockbusters have to be at most a 12 yeah to get to get the punters right because they need to they need to be family oriented no i mean maybe not family oriented but they they need to have a wide a wide enough audience and 12 is pretty good for that whereas in the 90s it was 15 was the minimum really ah 15 is a good one um maybe it's because there were people like you going to the cinema at the age of 13 so they didn't need to worry too much so we had better films in the 90s well sometimes <laughs> they would they would, they would they would seed movies with gratuity just so it would get a higher classification and not seem like a family film yeah, yeah exactly exactly so i was surprised at how violent it was i'm pleasantly surprised at how violent it was actually <laughs> 
actually. I mean, it's, because this, it doesn't need to be, does it? It doesn't just, just need to be as violent as it is. No, it could no. easily be a 12 certificate. It wouldn't lose anything. I mean, it's quite a lot of swearing in it as well, which I was surprised yes, at. Yes, that surprised me too. Yeah so, yeah, so maybe it's just a different time. The 90s were just a bit more, you know, violent and sweary. I don't know. But yeah, it was interesting. It's racist. Delmo is just randomly <laughs> racist to uh, uh, Canet uh, yeah. for no reason. And also, Kynet Kynet just devolves into kind of this. He's sort of threatening to ravage Mem Jesse for yeah. no particular reason. But it's very did, did, yeah. Did, did, oh, that's a bit of an uncomfortable. Uh, it scene. is a bit. Yeah, it's like, a I bit. don't mind Delma talking about football, but did Kynet really have just threatened to? Did he have it? to go there? Yeah, yeah. The undertones there, um, and uh, I suppose the, the the thing for me is why isn't this a classic then? Perhaps, and it is a lot of the things that you've touched on. I, I think. I think the biggest thing for me is notwithstanding Lithgow's quips and his um, p- pure British accent. <laughs> um, I don't. I, so if you compare this to a film like The Long Kiss Goodnight, yeah. that has the script. Yes. This doesn't. Yeah. Um, I don't think the script. I don't think the script of Cliffhanging. You're not coming to this for the script. I don't think. Now that's <laughs> not to say that it's terrible. Yeah. Um, it has its moments, and there are some decent one-liners, etc. But it's it. Yeah. The film isn't built on the script, and I think the Long Kiss Goodnight, which is a Rennie Harlan film, obviously, yeah. um, but it's scripted by Shane Black. The film is built on the script from which the action evolves from Absolutely, this is pure yeah. action yeah. from which the script doesn't really play a part yeah. and um that for me is the difference between the two yeah when they feed in all the exposition it's not just exposition yeah. about plot it's about their feelings too because yeah. like jesse rattles off their entire relationship to get it over with quickly uh, even like the treasure agents they rattle off all the important things just to say there's a big load of money yeah it's, it's just to get us to these scenes and it's, but I, don't, it's... I, mean, I don't even mind that so much i mean I, I agree with you that is that is a problem but the exposition in this isn't done in a in a witty or interesting yes. way it's just yeah, yeah. words being said whereas in 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 the, the long kiss good night it's done and it, it almost every word is there's no words are wasted in the long kiss goodnight even though a lot of it is exposition yeah i just want to say again the casting of jesse we've already mentioned it of janine turner i mean she was I, I remember her being cast because at this point the uh the, the tv series northern exposure was was riding Very high big, it, and yeah. again she was the main character and i think spun off as you know attempt to get a movie career but i don't think she's the right cast for this because she doesn't Managed to elevate the pretty poor role she's given, um, and I she's think not maybe given a lot to do is she? She isn't, but I, I wonder if again a more experienced film actress could have got more from it because it, it's not a great role and she doesn't do a great job with it. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. I think she's the weakest of the supporting cast, the supporting characters actually, um, which is a problem because as the love interest, I guessed, mm. um, and actually, that that's the problem in and of itself, isn't it? She's she's the love interest, and, yeah. and really, she doesn't seem to ha- have a lot of agency. No, but the romance story you want to see develop is the one between Tucker and Walker. That's, well, yeah, that's that's, that's the broken heart that needs to break to mend. Yeah. So yeah, really, she is superfluous anyway. <laughs> so you, you actually don't need a female. <laughs> it sounds awful to remove the only woman in the scene. Oh, you get Crystal who gets murdered. Um, but if <laughs> nice. you see what I mean, it's like she, it, yeah. it's an extra person who actually is the least important relationship yeah. in the in the, what's going on there so um i think we've fully devoured cliffhanger are there other films that you would you would recommend to watch with this i was thinking this and um i think this is this film i'm thinking of and it, it's it's also complete pap so you know everything. <laughs> i think i think it does the um in the genre of the bad guys are outmatched by an outdoorsman scene Oh yeah. I'd go yeah, Crocodile Dundee 2. 
that's a, that is a double bill I wasn't expecting to have to watch. <laughs> I mean, it was that's a film with two halves too. But in the second half, when you know the bad guys, they've got a hostage and they're hunting our hero, who is able to outmatch them. I think they actually managed to do that with some degree of tension, but also the fact he's always one step ahead of them. I thought that's done quite elegantly in a way that perhaps in this, because Walker was always outmatching them didn't quite manage to reach so i thought actually that's quite an interesting comparison obviously it has other things that aren't as good in it as well <laughs> yeah but uh, i think it's it's an interesting comparison to make good old andy too blimey I, I i was thinking um maybe slightly more um literally uh, there's a documentary called touching the void <laughs> 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 I love touching the void, by the way, but I do like, like the fact that we went in a totally different direction with <laughs> our recommendations. <laughs> 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 we're not quite so synced. Oh, it's good though, no, it's no, really no, good. you know what? That's all good. I, look, I'm I'm at home. I'm equally at home watching Crocodile Dundee 2 as I am watching Touching the Void. I remember that Touching the Void is, um, is it... What's the uh, what's the music? He can't. He hears Rivers of Babylon, which is yeah, Babylon. that's right. Yeah, um, it's not Shawadi Body, is it? it was, uh... No, it's it's not Boney, Boney M, M. Is it? It's Boney, Boney M, M, isn't it? Yeah. And, yes, it's the guy as he staggers down with like two broken legs and yeah. dehydrated, yeah. and he says, "All I can hear is Boney M." I thought, "I'm not going to die <laughs> listening to Boney M." <laughs> That's brilliant, isn't it? But the, the reason why the reason why I've chosen Touching the Void is is not because I, I want some kind of seriousness to it, but. What what happens in touching the void would be what would really happen in Cliffhanger. If Cliffhanger was real, it would be touching the void. Yeah. <laughs> and if it was slightly less real, with even worse acts, it would be Crocodile Dundee too. <laughs> very good. Yeah, very good. Uh, there's actually one final thing I wanted to mention about Cliffhanger. Sorry, I'm just, just adding this on. Um, as very very small roles in the film as Ranger Phil and Ranger John are two uh, Merseyside footballers, Steve Staunton and Tony Cotty. And one place, yes, Staunton played for Liverpool, Tony Cotty played for Everton in the 80s uh, and early 90s. And I have no idea why. I have no idea why they're in the film. Why are they in the film? They're not actors. They're not in anything else. They're footballers. Really? I can yeah. only hope they weren't there as technical advisors for Delmar's football narration. They, <laughs> Maybe they Craig not Fairbrass knew them. I don't know. I know that Sylvester Stallone is is genuinely, genuinely he's an Everton oh, yeah. fan. Yeah, yeah. It is yeah. very strange. But even so, as, he, as anyone would be. <laughs> indeed, I don't, I don't understand why he would have got Tony Cotty to to play in the film. But there we go. That's a very odd touch there. Not only that, that is a piece of trivia that you will get in no other film review. <laughs> what's interesting about it is that ranger phil is played by steve staunton who is the who was in the early 90s the liverpool left back i think or right back i can't remember and ranger john who was the everton striker tony cotty so you've got there must have been a reason for a liverpool and everton players wow. to be ranger phil and ranger john this is true there's someone been messing with the imdb for a joke or <laughs> I don't know. They're in there. They're in there. Wow. Um, and who is Ranger Phil and Ranger John? Are they the? Are they? Just, what do they do? Well, I can't. So, uh, I, they are. I think they're. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't remember. I can't remember who they are in the film. I'm looking at. I'm looking at the cast list. Yeah. Of. Uh, of, of it. Ranger John. Yeah. If I track down the script for it now and find out what they do. Um, I think it's also sad they were from Liverpool Everton. They weren't from Glasgow Rangers because really that would. <laughs> That would have been yeah, that's true. 
Oh, yeah, it's a bit well, bad. Maybe Benny oh, Harlan is a, I don't know, maybe he's a football fan as well. Who knows? But there we go. But on that bombshell. Um, yes, on that immense bombshell. <laughs> that, that may be the best factoid I've ever heard of. Weekend look, at if we keep, if this, I, I, I defer to Wikipedia here. Who knows? But that's what it's saying to me. I, I thought, well, that can't be the real Steve Staunton. But obviously, it's a real Steve Staunton. It can't be the Steve Staunton. Uh, Tony Cotty? No, there can't be many Tony Cotties who are actors. And there aren't. <laughs> He's a footballer. We so digress. We'll, we'll 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 tweet him. We'll tweet him as saying, "Was yeah. this really, you really Ranger Joe, Phil and Ranger John?" The world yeah. must know. Um, well, we we have dissected cliffhanger, so uh, it's the part of the podcast that everyone looks forward to. That's right. <laughs> it's the end. But before that, we will give the scores on the doors, and we'll be. Um, Revealing what uh, my film for November is. Right, as welcome back, and as James decided to give the intro before the music happened, I think we all know what to expect. <laughs> Let's pack up our crampons, wind up, our, our, <laughs> wind the rope into neat little loops as we I, go into yeah. the scores. And I do, fi- I do find the word crampon very difficult to kind of. <laughs> So it's just a weird word, isn't it? Crampon. It combines a lot of imagery, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Oh, it's just strange. Uh, who, who does this? Is it me? Do I go first? <laughs> no, I go first. It's just dictates. Oh, go on then. Um, I mean, yeah, it's... it's if we're, what to say we've not said already. It's a romp. It's deeply flawed. It is very much what it is. It's quite enjoyable. For me, it's three out of five. Hugh Morgan, three out of five. I, I, I'd say um, it's a romp. I don't think it is deeply flawed. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it is hugely enjoyable. I'm going to give it four disembodied crombie heads. <laughs> I think it's just good fun. This is, this is, yeah. Cliffhanger is a device to entertain, and it does that. My goodness. Yeah, I'm starting to feel bad about the three out of five now, but you realise now that you, we've, you've always scored the Rennie Harland films higher than I have. <laughs> well, he's I am clearly Harland fans. You're the super fan. <laughs> James Evans, Rennie Harland super fan. I'll, I'll endeavour to make sure that's the first line of your obituary. Oh, I'm going to have to choose Deep Blue Sea, aren't I? Or uh... <laughs> oh, I'd like Blue Sea. One, he's still making films. You know, actually, one of the interesting things about Rennie Harland now, he obviously he he had his... Late, he had his very early 90s heyday, really, didn't he? And his mid 90s uh, kind of flops, I suppose. And then he kind of went off the radar. He's re emerged as a very successful director of um, films in the in um, China. He makes very popular films in China, yeah. What a I'm career not, this man has had. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not joking either. See, he's, uh, three, he's, he doesn't release them in, in the US anymore. Three of his, his latest three films are, are all. Um, Chinese language, Mandarin or Cantonese, I presume, um, uh, released in China. They don't have an international audience, but they are hugely successful. Hugely successful. Wow. That's bonkers, isn't it? <laughs> it just goes to show you. It just it just goes to show, right? Yeah. Well, well, as we reel from this, uh, let's let's please have the, the next shock of what will be the penultimate movie we review of season four. James, well, over to you. you. You have said previously that we are quite simpatico at the moment. So it was interesting during the description, uh, the synopsis of 
um, cliffhanger that you described. Um, you described um, Michael Rooker as one of the um, one of the consistent, uh, you know, not main characters, but 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 um, sub characters in the film. And you compared him to Bill Paxton. Well, my next film is a Bill Paxton film. Mm-hmm. It's a Bill Paxton film. It's the, it's the 1992 thriller One False Move. Ooh, <laughs> very good. And with that, we shall make one real move to end the broadcast. And uh, <laughs> very good. I mean, that's low bar. You, yeah. <laughs> you can do better. Game you over, man. <laughs> one real move. Okay, I will right, we'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, with that, I will hand over to James to give us the outro. <laughs> Um, yes. Oh, hang on. Am I supposed to do the outro? No. See, I'm, I'm passing you the football <laughs> and watching you fall right over it. With oh, that, <laughs> as James's glove slips between my hands and he falls 400 meters to <laughs> That's better. imminent demise. This is, this is the real Hugh Morgan. This is it. <laughs> I will instead scoot myself over to the waiting helicopter and wish you all a very healthy and a very happy weekend at Crombie's. Good evening, all. You got Travers Crystal, you got Kynet, Delmar, which is another. We played so Kynet, Delmar, played by Craig Fairbrass, another brilliantly British name, (laughs) and (laughs) Ryan and Heldon. Yeah, well, it's it's like Middle Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Kynet, Delmar, and Heldon. What? Uh, I imagine there was a rationale for all these. They were probably just casting did not discuss the, the script. <laughs> Delmar. Have you ever worked anywhere and met someone called Delmar? <laughs> I mean, that's, I've never been to Louisiana, so no. <laughs> no, we haven't, but Craig Fairbrass is a cockney. That's the problem. <laughs> all right, Governor, my name's Delmar. Maybe they thought it was Del Boy. I don't know. Do you know what? If Del Boy had been one of the heavies, I'd have loved that. That would have, that would have fitted quite perfectly, actually. <laughs>